Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Welcome to the 300th episode of Horror Vanguard. Elephant sounds, imagine dragons, meme. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, am... Oh, go on, go on. Don't let me interrupt I'm, you at this, our, our monumentous and historic moment. No, you know what? I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm just gonna... I'm just gonna, gonna let this ride. Let it ride. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of like fireworks behind me right now, but none of them are going off as they should, so I'm like nervously looking back. The Horror Vanguard 300th celebration disaster! Not clickbait. <laughs> Not clickbait. Yes, everyone, this is our 300th episode of Horror Vanguard. That is a lot of episodes. I am one of your co-ghosts, Ashley Darrow, joined as always by John, a.k.a. The Liquor Guy. How is it going on this day of days, John? You know what? Um, obviously, I'm I'm super excited that we, we hit 300 um episodes i think that's a massive milestone but um i feel like right off the top of the show we got to acknowledge that um sometimes opportunities in life do pass you by and mm-hmm. news broke that uh longtime fan someone we desperately wanted to get on the pod um has passed away and um it's a tragedy really real tragedy and all we can say is Rest in piss. Crab rave. Henry Kissinger died last night. (laughs) It's a 300th episode miracle. (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, John. I was reading my copy of the Jakarta Method. Did big world news happen last night? Uh, The accumulated psychic energy generated by 300 episodes of this (laughs) podcast uh, managed to finally... Uh, allow death to capture one of the most evil men of the entire century. I I, I was watching Space Worms when the news broke, and and I was just like, Sp- Space Worms had the power. It was it was disgusting. Space Worms eat everyone. Started by eating Henry Kissinger. I am I'm here for this. Uh, he worm food, worm food. To- mur, 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 mur. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the HV Pack Watch. Light it up. <laughs> I li- li- literally, like, like everyone last night. I was like, oh, this is great. This is so funny. Rest in piss, you horrible, you know, genociding, warmongering scumbag. And then, like, as I was drifting to sleep, I was like, is is this it? Are we just? Are we? And then I woke up this morning, and the world did feel a little bit lighter. You know, as as if some ancient demon had been slain and the yeah. skies could be clear again like and i i like you know like i, I forgot who tweeted this i, I actually hopped on a, a twitter for the first time in months um to to kind of to kind of you know come out to the town square and enjoy the revelry and somebody somebody tweeted something to the effect of like the death of henry kissinger marks the end of a horrid era and now begins something much better and I'm like, I can get behind that. I can get behind the death of Henry Kissinger being a major world turning point for the better. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I just, I, just am thinking of like the meme of the, uh, of the Doom Soldier in Hell being like, <laughs> "Where is Henry Kissinger?" <laughs> like, I, I, I always, I always think of that Anthony Bourdain quote about Henry Kissinger, and like how even, even in I think like 2001, Bourdain was like, "I regret a lot of things I've said over my career, but not this." And it was his, his fucking quote about like his his feeling i'll say his feelings towards mr kissinger after after anthony bourdain visited cambodia 
yeah, and like uh, after oh. that that absolute uh, monstrous homunculus engineered the effective carpet bombing of Laos and Cambodia, uh, engineered uh, had a hand in the uh, Chilean coup against Salvador Allende, mm-hmm. like. The world's a better place. It doesn't just just for a, just a split a second. It's like, can you just breathe a little easier now? It's just get get wrecked, you horrible piss bag. This is just I don't, what a good what a good way to start our three hundredth episode is with something that. How did he get to be a hundred? You know, like what was Verso sitting on that uh, the Good Die Young book for years now, like. Yeah, and shout out to Jacobin and Verso for like yep. legendary level hating of writing an entire book about, about how much someone sucks and then waiting literal years with like copy, thousands of copies in a warehouse somewhere mm-hmm. until he finally kicks the bucket. That is, I can only aspire to that. That That is just, just, a, a just cosmically lethal lancing. And to watch all these like, I, I don't know, petty news freaks just kind of like, try and be like oh an elder statesman passed away last night and then all of the comments are just just hordes of people boiling up from the earth to chew them alive and it's just like not not only is kissinger's demonic spirit finally off of this world but no one no one is buying the like well you know it was a complicated time and, and kissinger did everyone is just seeing straight through that stuff it's fantastic you there, boy. What's today? What? <laughs> what? Why it's Henry Kissinger's death day, sir? <laughs> yes, it sir, only governor. took a hundred years, but they did it. They finally did it. <laughs> Absolutely, and it is what a what a what a glorious way of starting the three hundredth episode of three, the show. Three hundred episodes, one hundred years of Henry Kissinger, one day of dead Henry Kissinger. And I can't think of a better way to get the ball bowling. Get the ball bowling. I guess the ball does have to be bowling when you think about it in the way that I'm describing presently. Um, but let's get the ball rolling. And I couldn't think of a better way. Uh, a bunch, a bunch of longtime uh, horror vanguard guests have were kind enough to record us little special shoutouts for today's episode. And I, I couldn't think of a better a better one to start with than a longtime friend of the show, multiple episode guest. We've been on Pod Damn America plenty of times. Uh, uh, this is a little a little special message from the one, the only, the legendary and hilarious Jake Flores. Greetings and hello. Hello. Hi. Just kidding. Hi, this is Jake Flores from Pod Damn America, the gothic socialist podcast. Friends of the Horror Vanguard, I wanted to say congratulations and shouts out to my friends at the Horror Vanguard. Congratulations on the 30th episode. I love the Horror Vanguard so much, I can't tell you how many uh, long train rides in New York City it has kept me company on. I tell people all the time about it. I tell them, you've got to hear this great other gothic socialist podcast uh, <laughs> there's a, f- a few random other people out there who also decided to uh, combine those two things together as like a, a running theme you know um and we're all pals it's great i tell them 
you got to hear it. It's these two goths. They, uh, they're really smart. One of them does something called a precus, which is a word that I did not know until I started listening to the podcast. And then they do grad school at each other for an hour about like Freddy versus Jason or something. And I don't understand half of what's happening, but I can't stop listening. I love the horror Vanguard. Uh, so glad that it's around and I, uh, uh, uh thanks for having me. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to try to write a precus T- too hard. Just let them do it. Um, yeah, great job on the show y'all. And I'm looking forward to 300 more. All right. It's finished. Now that, that is how it is done. <laughs> that is um, not, not only one of the funniest things. I have heard in a hot minute, but also uh, referring to us as doing grad school at each other. Yeah, I mean, is, that is basically what we do here. It's, <laughs> that is it's, basically what we do. It is accurate on a level that is frightening to me. <laughs> I feel more seen than I thought possible. Uh, thank you, Jake. <laughs> oh, uh, fellow uh, fellow uh, member of the uh, longstanding goth socialist podcast is Caucus. One of the good ones. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Pod Damn America, huge inspiration for what we do here over on Horror Vanguard, except for they're not only smart, but they're also funny. Um, and so they have, they have yeah, everything. Yeah, we can do one <laughs> of those things, okay? We can do one. If you want people one, both- one at a time where we start falling over. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you want from us? Like, two things? <laughs> we do grad school at each other. <laughs> God, that is great. Uh well, for for the 300th episode, we had to do something a little bit special, and so it is time for a movie exchange. We have gotten each other a present, um, and we've talked on the show about how there is a, a Venn diagram of cinema. There is John Cinema, there is Ash Cinema, uh, and so uh, I got you a present, uh, and oh, I thought oh, to myself, lovely. I thought to myself, it has to it has to include all of the key markers of. Uh, ash cinema it has to be made for literally no money it has to be (laughs) it has to be mostly inaudible um that's so it has to feature um basically a lot of like implicit concerns around infrastructure i feel like that's a very key thing (laughs) yeah i've I've never thought about it that way but that is like incredibly accurate um but yeah, I, I, I suppose I suppose the next thing to do then is to um, is to maybe explain to everybody what what the present oh. I got you was. Oh my god! Oh my god! I've, I'm, I'm sorry. I never get to I never get to do this, and so that that little awkward pause I just edited out there was me failing to do this because I don't know how it's done. Um, yeah, thank you for this present, John. I absolutely love it, but. Could you tell our audience what the what's uh, disgusting space worms eat everyone is really all about? I feel like I'm being replaced. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've both been body swapped or something. <clears throat> Scene outside of the coffee shop. The year 2018. Dasha Nekrasova is dressed as a Sailor Moon style schoolgirl. <laughs> And is stopped. And is stopped by a street reporter for Alex Jones's conspiracy website Infowars. And she's interviewed about her support for Bernie Sanders. The reporter, almost inevitably, starts ranting about Venezuela and socialism and how the government forces people to eat rats. Dasha pauses for a second. 
and with their distinctive vocal fry drawls, you people have like worms in your brain. <laughs> A few short years later, Dasher interviews Alex Jones and has become the first bona fide celebrity of the Peter Thiel astroturfed reactionary culture emerging out of New York, made up of American conservatives, post-left weirdos, fascists and reactionaries of every stripe. People who think the great struggle of our day is their freedom to say slurs and be praised for it, whilst nailing fat lines of coke at New York parties. Sailor socialism has become a reactionary tradcath. One can only assume that the worms were contagious. The reporter is now a progressive cosplayer with an OnlyFans account who's repudiated all of their previous politics. Alison Rumford's new novel, Brainworms, literalizes our social media-induced ironic eye-rolling brainwormed take. They've got advanced brainworms. They'll get into your head too, you know. That's what they want. We're mulching our way through discourse, through history, worms within worms as maternity itself decomposes into layers. Comes from the outside, apparently, but maybe it's always been with us. The worms. Sit still for a second and see if you can't spot them floating there in the viscous, transparent liquid of your eyes. We are the worms fed the endless streams of postmodern flotsam and jetsam, feasting on the accumulated detritus of modernity. Cut a line, join in, allow yourself to be consumed as the geologic layers of history pour into your skin and mouth. Perhaps if we sift through it all, we may find something here that allows us to flourish anew in our decayed state. Join us as we discuss disgusting space worms eat everything. <laughs> okay, as every pracy you have ever done, uh, I will say this again, that was absolutely beautiful. I don't know why you don't do all of them. Um, you had, you had, you had, I, I you don't had... do that because people would stop listening to the show. The one <laughs> thing people say about this podcast is that your braces are the best bit. <laughs> I so so you you had you had uh, uh, kind of give me a sneak peek before we started and, and let me know that the the Prezi had something to do with Sailor Moon, and so of course I was like, okay, like there is like a through line to Sailor Moon R that I could see connecting into discussing <laughs> space worms, and then we could like and then and then like to, to hit to hit me with the Dasha. Is that that's that is a deep a deep memory that is the deep lore when when the the left the left uh, uh, trolls of Twitter dug too deeply and too greedily into the meme pits. <laughs> I am I am floored I am floored. Uh, my only my only commentary is I I think I can definitely pull off a Sailor Moon outfit better than Dasha. I think that's my conclusion here. I, I really think that's the big takeaway from three hundred <laughs> episodes of Horror Vanguard that. But there's one thing I've learned at the, the end of when we do episodes. the next live show. When we do the next live show, <laughs> we both need to be dressed as Sailor Moon characters. Yes. Oh, let's do it. That'll be great. We'll be uh, we'll, we'll both bo- like we won't talk about it beforehand. We both wind up dressed as Santa tuxedo mask. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was a beautiful pricey, and I, I think really primes our discussion as as any good pricey should of. 
disgusting space worms eat everyone um a movie that uh like like all great movies i'm going to spend a long time trying to figure out what the hell i just watched but that's how you know that's how you now know it's some it's some top grade uh ash cinema um firstly the biggest formalist point um this is shot on shittio <laughs> Delicious, delicious video. Mm, mm, mm. Every everything do you, do you is like, just so you like grainy. Tracking marks? Do you like? Do you like grain? Do you like color grade, which is never consistent? Oh, love them. Those are three of my favorite things. How do you know? <laughs> oh, it's just. I, I do, it's I do beautiful. have to ask you a question. I do have to yes. ask you a question, which is like, how much of the dialogue w- were you able to make out? So, so virtually none of of the dialogue um, was was at all audible to me while watching this movie, <laughs> and oh, that is it, it was it was reminding me of uh, um, Dawn of an Evil Millennium, you know, like these these other like just beautiful movies uh, that that are like I I have no idea what's happening here. I cannot hear a thing. There there were a handful of lines. That uh, that um, let's 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 recreate a call and response uh between two spies. I think they're spies because I don't I don't know a damn thing that happened in this movie, which is one of the reasons why I love it. Yep. Uh, I'll take I'll take the first line. Uh, <clears throat> the world's a rotten avocado, and there's nothing on TV. What what a beautiful beautiful line, and you know you know like like this is this is literally, and I say this like somewhat unironically. But th- this is why this kind of like low budget, like super proletarian, super outside of cinema is a lot like jazz because it's about <laughs> the lines you don't hear. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If if you asked me, if you asked me after doing this for 300 episodes, would I be able to craft a more perfect Ash comparison <laughs> than, than this outsider cinema is kind of like, the, the disgusting space worms eat everyone, is kind of like jazz. It's really it's really about the things they're not showing on screen. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is kind of like acid jazz adjacent, you know? Except for we replace ab- acid jazz with... Somehow the subterraneans and very understandably a bunch of L.A. punk and goth bands that the director either knew or was in. Maybe we should talk about the music as well, because there is there is a, a lot of it, actually, in this. It's really like successive sequence of full songs being played and not. I, I would I would draw a very important distinction here. The, the, this both of today's films are kind of lavishly dedicated to per, uh, particular sonic scenes, but there's kind of like I enjoy a lot of bad movies, and often in a bad movie, what'll happen is they'll like play a whole damn song, and then you'll hear it fade out, and then they'll start the next song. Right? They're just like dropping songs on top of the movie, and and thankfully, like. What really elevates Space Worms is like these people actually know how to make a movie and they just don't have access to any of the equipment you would need to to do that more successfully. And so like like the 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 soundtrack actually works. It's actually like it is an accent, it is accompanying or cinematic engagement. Yeah, because if you've got the rights to use a song, you're not just using a part of the song. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh no! You got you to use the whole thing, and if it, if it's your friend's band or if it's your band, you want to showcase the whole song too, because that might help album sales on the back end. 
And, yes. You know, absolutely. you've been eating ramen for lunch for the last month. So that would be real great if a few people bought the record. Um, also, I think that explains why some of the pacing in this feels very odd, which is like there's a scene, a, a moment <laughs> right, right at the beginning where a guy is supposedly uh, is supposedly like cutting some lines of coke with a credit card. Um, looks suspiciously like flour, but it's certainly fine. not begging flour. Cer- certainly, no. certainly Abs- coke is very light and fluffy and, and kind of reminds me of making biscuits with grandma. Yeah, I, so I've been led to believe. <laughs> and, um, like, that scene takes, Allegedly. like, what feels like six minutes of just him endlessly chopping away at this flower with his credit card. It, it was... So, so we're, we're going to be talking a lot about drugs and drug culture, uh, to be academic about it on today's episode. Um, but th- this movie, like... It does have this frantic cocaine pace to it, but like I, I do find it to be kind of clever that we're slowing down the actual cocaine scene itself. We're almost like defetishizing that in a way. Like the cocaine scene here is like decidedly unromantic, despite the movie's otherwise like outstanding cocaine energy. The the uh, frantic breakneck pace of the rest of this film. Yes, because as we know, uh, that's where the space worms live. The space worms live in the cocaine. Yeah, they either they either live in the cocaine or they live in like amazing video toaster graphic effects. Oh, it just makes me it's like it's like I don't know about you, but do you remember when we watched Birdemic? And I was like, these graphics are slightly too convincing. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is this is, I think actually a really good point, right? Because one of the one of the things that's kind of like so you, I, you, I, I, was, I was actually thinking about Sharknado while watching this, right? Because the graphics in Sharknado were bad. Duh. Right? Like, but they're bad in a way that's also attempting to be readable and kind of passable. But, like, the graphics are bad in Space Worms. Like, they're, like it's from a Pollock painting. You know? Like, this is the kind of arresting negativity that's forcing me to, like, interrogate my own eyes while I'm watching a movie. This is like noise as cinema. I think that's Jazz, really noise. I, where next? Well, well, like you, you, you compare it to noise and you compare it to uh, jazz, but like the big musical, like this comes out of, of, of both of these are kind of like scene movies. I like the scene oh, yeah. this comes out of is like late eighties LA punk. Uh, oh like, yeah, yeah. It's very like very synth, rock. very goth, very punk. And I'm sort, I'm, I'm sort of like, this was, at, this was at the point where like, punk rebellion had sort of like curdled against itself and had become sort of self-parodic. And to me, this is why you basically have someone who's doing their best Humphrey Bogart impersonation in this. <laughs> so I walked around and I saw this dangerous woman and I thought, now there's a dame that could get a man into some hot water. I gotta go get me a Waldorf salad and follow and follow Jimmy Sharp elbows. And like, that's that, that's most of his dialogue. And it's and it's perfect. And it's so good. And it's it's just like, so I think this is something that we're all, this is something we're also amazingly going to discuss in Liquid Sky, because Liquid Sky was intentionally trying to do this. But these are both movies that are trying to kind of create a visual cinematic language adjacent to or representative of what punk is in terms of a sonic aesthetic. 
Right. These are both films that are avant-garde. They're incredibly aggressive. They're uh, not concerned with being faithful uh, to to any kind of artistic or intellectual forebear, with some Brechtian ex- exceptions we'll get into. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think this, raise, this is going to raise some very interesting points that we have basically collapsed that Venn diagram I spoke of earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is oh, no distinction. Yeah. There's no, nope. we'll, but we'll get onto that when we when 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 the the the, the present giving continues. Um, <laughs> but do do you have do you have uh, any more kind of formal points you want to make about uh, about disgusting space worms? I, I think this is going to be one of those movies that like like I've watched Dawn of an Evil Millennium uh, an uncountable number of times now, and I, and I, as I was watching like space worms, I was like, oh my god, this is. This is exactly that. This is that kind of Damon Packard style movie. And it's just like, I'm going to be watching this a million times. And I had no idea this movie existed. I'm not sure anyone outside of the filmmakers knew this movie existed before you recommended it to me. It's on archive.org. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, you can find you can find an amazing, uh, like almost unwatchable version of this on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I just want to say before you exit the formalism zone, uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Bleeding Skull, Severin, Agfa. Um, if any of you find like the SVHS copy of this and decide to do like a 2K restoration, and uh, Horror Vanguard doesn't uh, have a commentary track or or some some part of the release, I I am gonna be sad, and that's the length of my threat. You'll know that you'll have made a total stranger kind of sad. Uh, we will, yeah, we will write the introductory essay for the <laughs> for the transfer. It's totally fine. <laughs> oh my god I, want, I wonder if like the SVHS or something for this exists or like an original tape but speaking of memories uh, Horror Vanguard here we've made a lot of memories over the last 300 episodes and one of one of the most endearing memories now close personal friend of your ghosts is Jay from Library Punk and uh, Jay has a little something to say good evening my spookiest of comrades. This is Jay from Library Punk and Intersubject. It was around, I think, two years ago, around this time, actually, that we first met. You asked to come on Library Punk, and then you had me on HV shortly after, and the rest is history. There's a lot I want to say, and there's a, a lot in how I wanted to say this. I wanted to be poetic, right? I wanted to be profound, speak some deep, enlightened truth. But the words didn't come to me that way. Instead, I just wanted to say that I am so honored and proud to call both of you colleagues and friends. Each episode is better than the last, and I I know I've listened to all of them. Each episode amazes me, educates me, inspires me, challenges me. Other verbs insert here. I could go on and on and on and on and on. So instead, I'll just say congratulations on episode 300. Here's to 300 more and 300 after that. And 300 after that. And 300 again. 
until you truly become the revolutionary vanguard of a gothic Marxist class consciousness with all of us. That was another fantastic shout out for our show. And that's that's a reoccurring theme in these, I think, where people who were like, oh, I was going to write a precy, but that was too hard. And I'm like, it's really not. <laughs> I mean, but maybe, I, I, pre- maybe, I appreciate maybe. everyone being sweet and having having such wonderful things to say. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank I'm, you so I'm in much no way self-deprecating. That was just another beautiful shout out. Yeah, thank you so much to our dear friends and comrades in the struggle at Library Punk. Which, no doubt, you will uh, hear us back on and hear them back on our show. I know um, Pablo Laran has a Maria Callas movie coming out soon, and that is very much Jay's thing, and now very much one of our things. So, mm-hmm. who knows what happens in our future? <laughs> uh, before we go into talking about some of the discourse of disgusting space worms, um, it's too, to, to, to take a second, I think it's worth... Uh, saying that for 300 episodes we have made this podcast. Um, it has been supported uh, by people through horrorvanguard.com, through our Patreon page. Um, but for six years now, we have put out more than an episode a week, every week, um, which is just wild. And we never, we never would have been able to do that without the support of people on Patreon. But uh, it still involves huge amounts of uh, free work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And um, Horror Vanguard has managed to uh, grow and keep finding a, a listenership. So if you do like the show, if you've listened to uh, one or a hundred or all 300 episodes, it doesn't matter, but we are incredibly grateful. But we do need your help. Uh, that kind of pace without greater support is probably not sustainable for too much longer. Um, simply because, you know, that's that's the way that life works. So if you would like the show to keep going and keep going at the breakneck pace that it's always gone, uh, and if you'd like to get a whole bunch of, like, bonus episodes and early access to everything that we do, please do check out the HV Patreon, where you can support us for just 3 to $5. That would mean the world for this our 300th episode to, to get more more subscribers over on the Patreon, more support for our show, uh, it would just it would just be fantastic. It means the world. Like like to 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 come to recognize so many people that have been supporting the show since roundabout day one, and even even newer voices have, who have like rose to familiarity over on the Discord and on Patreon. It's just been so gratifying, including including something that keeps happening to us, where people cite Horror Vanguard in their PhD dissertations. Which Wait, that, uh, special, that happened again? <laughs> that happened again. So special, a special horror vanguard salute to you, absolute academic maniacs who are fighting the good fight in the hollowed halls of academia, and the people who use horror vanguard as teaching material, which is power move. There, well done. Yeah, that's what that's what extremely cool academics and teachers do. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. See, this is this is a public humanities impact project. Uh, this is this is in no way how I talk about this on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's uh, let's get a little discursive with these space worms. Uh, well, we? where would you where would you like to begin? Um. Well, you know, I, I think I think we we should return to the discussion of 
drug culture as it relates to space worms because i think this winds up being it's there are and this this dear listeners you're, you you might have already watched both of these movies as we often recommend to watch the movie before the episode but uh also maybe don't do that maybe just watch our episodes a bunch of times they're pretty much like watching the movie listen to our episodes rather like or watch our episodes you know like you know that that, that could be a fun experience yeah, uh, podcasting, the most visual of media. <laughs> but no, there are so many similarities to both of these movies, and that was totally unintentional. Absolute accident for these surprise picks here. Um, and, and, I, and I think exploring angles of drug culture is really important, right? There are, there are some things like that that we'll say for the Liquid Sky session, uh, especially. But in this film, like, we, what, what I find to be interesting here is that, like, we have kind of like a, a collision of kind of drug culture aesthetics and like drug culture affective moods because this film is very affectively cocaine right yes. it's frantic it is literally introduced with some with your classic like like you know like 80s power cocaine user doing a bunch of cocaine um but the visually the visual language of the movie is deeply psychedelic and for me this this kind of unearths something like hauntological within how this movie represents like the material aesthetics of drug culture mm -hmm. because we have we have kind of a brief vision of something that never happened we have a brief vision or i shouldn't say never happened because you know it did but a brief vision of something that like only ever happened at the margins right we have like this kind of you know like like the the energy and hope and exploration and expansion of psychedelia coupled with the like unyielding rage of cocaine and punk and they're just jammed together in this movie in the most frantic and beautiful way possible and i find something about that to be really intriguing and now i'm trying to think of other examples of that mm. and obviously dawn of an evil millennium is coming to mind but i can't think of many more kind of cultural objects that represent the kind of synthesis of these like things that we've come to uh, approach and respect as competing camps exclusively. You know, we never talk about punk and psychedelia as having much overlap these days. But here's a great example of that. Uh, what are some of yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. I think I actually think it's super interesting to the combination of punk and cocaine because mm -hmm. traditionally in the eighties, coke is the the yuppie drug, right? Coke yeah. is the mm -hmm. coke is the thing that is like wired towards hyper productivity. Yes. Um and if if punk was about anything, punk is refusal, right? Punk mm -hmm. is punk is the thing which is like no future, right? You, this idea of like actually you can't earn your way or work your way out of this oncoming catastrophe. So there is this yeah, there's this interesting productive contradiction within the representations of 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 what what is this drug that these space worms are coming out of? What is it for? Um, I think Liquid Sky is maybe a little more developed in its, but there's like there's something super interesting about about that like friction between like what kind of what like is that is that the drug for punks or it, or is that the one for like people who want to do drug deals? Because <laughs> in the film, it's both. <laughs> And, and 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 I think that duality is really important to the context of space worms too, right? Because, and and again, like these these films are mirror each other in parallel in really interesting ways, right? Liquid Sky 
is very much about drugs. It is about cocaine. It is about downers, right? It is about the kind of club culture that those that you know structures and intersects with those specific emergences of drug culture. And in Space Worms, I, I think the kind of how this movie intersects with like cinematic drug culture is much more. It is a thing happening in the background, right? Because the space worms don't limit themselves to being transmitted just through uh, powdered sugar cocaine. They <laughs> <laughs> they can also get you with their uh, video toaster microwave beams. Yep. They can get you by flying their ship over you. Uh, they also sneak in through plumbing or like, you know, like burst out of cracks and stuff. They're kind of just, you know, they're out and about. And they also have like... There's a robot or maybe it's a bunch of giant worms in a suit. I really couldn't figure out what it was. But there are giant worms later in the movie. And, you know, like, so so the, the space worms believe in diversity of tactics. <laughs> and, like, that I, I think is really interesting that this movie is, like, kind of, like, cocaine has a bit of a culturally legendary status, right? We think of Scarface when we think of cocaine, right? Like, especially in terms of cinema and cinematic culture. You know, like, heroin and heroin chic have their place in cinema. They have their roles. They have iconic stories behind them. But I don't think that it quite has the kind of visual landscape that cocaine does. And for this movie to mute the visual landscape of cocaine into just like the first vector of attack for the space worms is kind of a punk thing to do. It is kind of that that like anti-future negation that came with the initial energies of punk. Well, I, I have a slightly different take. Oh, hit it, yeah. We- which is that, as you point, and you kind of brought this to mind actually, as you pointed out, the worms are not limited to the drug, right? But they are kind of this floating signifier, um, and so really, I think kind of everything in the film becomes that, right? You have the guy who's pretending he's a fifties PI. You have like weird map uh, special effects. You have. Um, the kind of very strange ending sequence with our, you know, giant worms in the mecha suit. Um, And maybe drugs do that as well, right? There's this kind of hallucinatory quality where, in fact, the true drug of the film is the film itself. It's Mm -hmm. cinema as a kind of narcotic. And this isn't like pure stuff either. This is like this is like, this is like street gear. This is this is like <laughs> it's shot on video. You can't hear it. it. The music is too loud. Everything doesn't work. But like it still it still gets you high. And and I think that, that that's another really important context because like this this film is like not just a historical relic, right? Because one of like the proletarian conditions of drug culture is it is kind of difficult to score pure drugs. Especially yeah. here in the United States right now, like even cocaine is it's almost always cut with fentanyl now, depending on what market you're in. And so we have we have a situation where like, oh, to, to get the kind of higher quality stuff is something gated by class, gated by economies. And here in this film, like you're, you're absolutely right. The drug that is this film, the drug culture that is being synthesized by this movie is being synthesized on like. A, a, a video handicam, you know, it's being synthesized with the available materials and therefore has a much rougher, much less reliable quality. Um, and this is why, this is why it's like, it's, it's drawing in from everything, right? It's drawing in from Hitchcock and like a classic noir and it's drawing in from like every movie that's ever been made about LA. Like it's all this, it's all this kind of like, 
stew of images and of references and of uh, of, of of sensation that's just sort of made as cheaply and quickly and as harshly <laughs> as possible which 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 adds to its beauty right which adds to its avant aggressions and i'm really glad you mentioned hitchcock because we have we are treated to a sequence in uh uh disgusting space rooms eat everyone a a visual experience if you will um which which its initial sequences are just kind of like a one to one call out or a one to one uh uh like throwback to um, the classic woman being stabbed in a shower from Hitchcock's Psycho. Yeah. Right. Right. We have like a woman like turning on the shower and getting in, and then instead of instead of as we get in Psycho, this kind of very metaphoric, very symbolic, quick cuts back and forth, um, because you know it's Psycho and it was breaking ground then. You know, we we get the initial setup, and then no, she's just in the bath on the phone with a friend, <laughs> and which is which is just such a beautiful switch, right? Like just to hit us with that mundanity. And, and again, I think this is something that a lot of like really successful experimental cinema does is it's able to like, it's not just weird for the sake of being weird, although that can be cool in its own right. It is grappling with inherent problems of mundanity. But we, uh, uh, the space worms uh, uh, creep in through her faucet and in and, and like a really protracted sequence, which I almost thought was a pun on the, uh, like the setup for the pun of the sequence but like the space worms are creeping towards her and like, oh, what, what, what's going to happen is the space worms are going to like, I, I don't know, like, like enter her vagina or something as we see in movies like Slither later on or like, you know, she'll be like naked and running around and space worms. But we don't really get that. That really doesn't happen to her. You know, she, she's 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 just like the space worms like kill her by falling on her face, you know, and so like the space worms that slithered up to her really didn't do anything. You know, and it's, it's, it's again, like, it's, this is brilliant subversion of these kind of, like, gendered expectations that we're going to have in cinema. And then this movie is like, you really shouldn't have any expectations with space worms. No, absolutely not. It's, um, it is far too weird and far too, uh, <laughs> there's so many bits which are, like, really, really sort of, I don't know, deliberately funny or, or just funny. And my favorite one is, like, the completely anhedonic news reporter inserts. Yes. Where it's like the news reporter going, well, we believe 10,000 people are dead. And you're like, oh, okay, so we're not doing the show don't tell. We're doing the tell don't show. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're right. This movie is resisting CIA propaganda in the arts. That that is a good point. Uh, my favorite one is like there's 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 um, another journalist who's giving a piece to camera doing a piece to camera like overlooking the freeway, and they're like thousands of people are packing the freeways as they try and escape the city, and traffic is just like m- moving quite normally behind them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which which I think uh, gets us gets us onto another point that we have down here. Like I, I think we can like like do our two next points together, but we want to talk about driving. Uh, driving vehicles, as well as kind of like a, a sonic psychogeography that this movie is building for the city of LA. There's a lot of driving scenes, and there's a. This is not a long movie. This is the other important rule of Ash Cinema that it be a tight ninety, even less. Too tight ninety if, at best. Yeah, if we, if we can get that down uh, to fifteen minutes, it's even better. <laughs> but like, uh, there's a lot of driving. <laughs> there's a lot of driving scenes, and they. They are not like they're not excitingly shots. It's just just a guy in a camera, guy with a camera pointing it at a guy sitting in the driver's seat of a car. I, I really enjoyed some of these driving sequences because they're filmed so strangely. 
you know, like like by by this point in in the history of cinema, American cinema especially, we have kind of an established cinematic language for someone driving from one location to another. You know, like like shot of them leaving wherever they're coming from, uh, insert shot of car going down a highway or maybe them behind the wheel. Uh, third shot of them like pulling up at their new destination. And then that, that even might be a bit too much these days. We might only need them pulling up or them leaving or the insert shot. But to kind of like be, be like hammered with so much driving like that, that is very L.A. L.A. is infamous for its horrible traffic. And that has been true for decades it is a feature of the city that like, you know, I've got friends who live in L.A. and the kind of trips that they they take across the city take, take like an hour and the trips that would take me 10 minutes here in another major American city. Just one more lane, bro. Just just, just one, one more, more lane. Just one more lane. And, It'll fix it. I swear. Just trust me, bro. Just just one more lane. <laughs> and, and again, I'm, re- I'm really I'm really glad you brought up that kind of like meme format because this, this works with the kind of drug culture analysis of this film because like. You know, like like the way we frame addiction and people who have addiction in cinema and in media is is often, and this is very ableist and quite terrible because they're they're people with an illness or people with a social problem, right? And but no, they're they're depicted as being morally weak and morally corrupted by the wiles of cocaine or heroin or whatever their drug of choice happens to be. You know, if, if only they had a stronger character, then they would be able to do better and fight it. But then, like you look at the you look at the society of LA, you look at its material and infrastructural, uh, uh, you know, kind of construction here, and like it's just lane after lane after lane in these highways. It is this hedonic hoovering up of natural resources, just you know, like doing doing lanes of freeway as if they're cocaine, just to sate car investors and oil companies, and this absolute denial of any public infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's uh, the the analogies are really uh, clear. It's super clear, um, and it's like, where are you driving to? You're driving to follow someone for a job, or you're driving someone to do like a drug deal in a car. Like mm-hmm. the car and the the cars, narcotics are as a global industry inevitably tied up with transportation. Yep. Right. In- inevitably. So it's like on the on the personal level, right? On the logistical level, that 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 usually gets like tied up in the language of smuggling right ships planes mm-hmm. uh any like freight but like on the personal level it's all about cars yep oh absolutely absolutely and like make no mistake about this one too like there, there's absolutely like n- no impetus on the oil industry to to correct or remediate their relationship to to illicit substances right like this this is simply just another aspect in their ledger line that goes unacknowledged or written under primary sales you know like oh we, we sold we sold a bunch of oil to this you know like gas station or this conglomerate let's never ask questions about what happens about it down the line yeah absolutely um are there anything else you want to you want to make sure that we hit on uh yeah yeah there's a couple of a couple more points i think we could do about uh space worms um Mm-mm-mm. Oh, so so this is this this reminds me of your t- uh, so the thing I was thinking about while watching this was your take on suburban Sasquatch, right? That this is was it suburban Sasquatch? That this is this is what elevated horror actually looks like. Yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, and, and I, I think <laughs> your your sentiment about suburban Sasquatch, which definitely put, I think applies so strongly to this movie because like this is a movie again that's elevated beyond a lot of the concerns that beguile even the best contemporary horror cinema right 
the, the, this is a movie that is like lifted beyond studio meddling that is like lifted beyond questions about like are we shooting on the most expensive gear will netflix let us distribute this movie you know like like what about uh, investors what about all this stuff like this movie is is kind of like like this is folk cinema right like this is proletarian art yeah like, like i don't this is, i don't this know is if great. the i don't know if the director ever made another film um from i couldn't what I can, find one uh, yeah from what i can tell i think the answer is no so there's something there's something like charming about the uh just straightforwardness of the desire in here mm-hmm. oh totally right it, it, it's it's almost it's it's again it's this elevated desire right the libidinal like, economy this of this movie is this movie we say this all the time, which is like, if you want to make a movie, right, you can just do it. <laughs> like, like, these people didn't, didn't like, they didn't wait until they had like the best camera of the 1980s or the colossal budget. Mm-hmm. It was like, do you really want to do it? And there's something so, so sort of like almost democratic about that. Right? No, I, I, I totally, totally agree with that. So another thing, another thing I wanted to talk about is uh, so both of the movies today wind up being alien movies. They wind up being UFO invasion films, and 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 I think we but we have two decidedly different. Again, these movies are parallels. They're they're mirroring each other, and in this movie, like the aliens are very obviously, very clearly hostile. You know, they're they're here as part of some takeover plot. Um, but what I, f- I find to be really interesting about this is like. So usually in kind of horror, the alien is depicted as somehow relatable from the human standpoint with, with a few notable arrivals like sign or I'm sorry, a few notable exceptions like Arrival, mm-hmm. um, which is a great movie that I'm surprised we haven't done an episode on yet. Um, put that one, put that one in the old, we need to do more alien movies, aliens and vampires in 2024. Um, That's the plan. Oh, Aliens and Vampires, also my forthcoming mo- movie, uh, uh, Blumhouse. Uh, still not returning my calls, emails, uh, faxes, texts, pager notifications, MSN, uh, messenger uh, notifications, but maybe one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, eventually, eventually someone's going to let John and I have the reins on a movie and woe to you, O oh, Earth and Sea. It's it's going to be fantastic. It's um, uh, Just wait, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey we keep we keep doing this and eventually uh either we're, entropy of the universe doing, kicks in or we do it we're doing hyperstition that's what we're doing yes, we're, yes. We're, we're making it real no i, I don't manifest i do hyperstition <laughs> that's just manifestation for people who read urbanomic books <laughs> <laughs> which which I'm so called out right now. I'm like I'm I'm like a crystal and spirituals girly, but I have urbanomic books instead of like self help texts. <laughs> um, no, like oh my god, what was I saying? Oh, the aliens and how they're constructed. So I, I think something interesting that happens in both of our films, which we'll definitely talk about later, is there is this kind of impetus in cinema to make the aliens somewhat relatable. They are on some degree readable from the human perspective. Right, they're they're either bipedal or semi bipedal. They have the kind of g- general like cephalic torso and limbs structure that we come to suspect or expect. Rather, like look at look at like Star Trek and Star Wars. Everything is bipedal with a head. It just has like different forehead ridge shapes. That's what defines different species throughout the galaxy. Is your forehead just winds up being different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in this movie, it's like no, they're they're like. Uh, a fistful of maggots or like what I could only assume was like 
the, the, the kind of like plastic uh, fake fishing worms that you could get at like any grocery store here in the States. Like a fistfuls of those or at one point, what I think was like some kind of plumbing like like some kind of like flexible hose that's painted white or something like it, again, it looks like very that. Hard to it tell. looks like that yeah <laughs> but i do but i do think it's trying to it, it is interesting that this is an alien that is truly alien right right this is this is a capital o other something that is like not readily bridged in terms of our ability to understand them and i think that invites a lot more dynamic energy and the two movies that we're talking about compared to like tons of other very similar movies that have Great plots, great facts, great ideas, but like because their aliens are so readable as human, we can just kind of start ascribing to them human motivations. Mm. You know, because like the, our space worms aren't driven by blind hunger or something, because they can make giant greebled space barges to fly around on. <laughs> so clearly, they've developed sciences and engineering and architectures at the very least, which kind of assumes the existence of philosophies and arts. And I think, I don't know, I, I, just, I just found that to be a really compelling thing that both of the movies from today did. I mean, uh, the, the disgusting space worms are annihilationist, right? They're sort of eugenicist. The snatches of voiceover or dialogue mm. that you can hear, like, humans are an inferior species. Like, yes. Mm. This is why I said in the pricey, like, we are the worm. Oh, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Whew. Uh, so my, my last point, my last point about space worms, as we round out the first half of today's two-parter, is, is I wanted to I wanted to have a little discussion about disgust, what probably the most maligned of the horror emotions, uh, thanks to thanks to Stephen King's commentary, uh, where where you and and even like it's not I'm sorry I shouldn't blame Stephen King for this this isn't Stephen King's fault this is the Gothic's fault, this this is the fault of like you know proto Victorian literature the idea that like, you know like oh my God is this Ruskin's fault a lot of things are Ruskin's fault is this one of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but like this idea that that terror is sophisticated. Terror elevates the soul, right? Terror builds you up. Uh, horror is lowbrow. Horror horror decimates and destroys spiritual cultivation. Stephen King later famously said, "You oh, you really want to go for this like cerebral scare, and if you fail at everything, you go for the gross out." Um, but I, I think there's like, and again, like oh my god, Gothic studies people who listen to my show, I am so sorry. I did I did a lot of work on Ruskin and Ruskin wound up like supplanting a lot of references in my brain that I should have. So uh, apologies for the miscitation. Oh, but like, I think there's something really powerful about disgust that, that, that comes up. There's something liberatory, right? Because disgust is a deeply disjarring emotion, right? Like dis- disgust is guttural. It's, it's, it's reeling. It almost hurts in this lib- like libidinized way, right? There's, there's these eroticized elements to disgust as well. And I think there's a lot of power in that sensation that often goes not underexplored, but is always kind of subsumed into that gothic, gothicized terror horror dichotomous discourse. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts about my uh, space worm ram- ramblings? Well, I think I think you're pretty on the money, actually, because it connects really well with objection. Because the, the principle, the sense of revu- of revulsion uh, of the, the our repulsion from the from the abject is about the unity of the single subject, right? We want yeah. this is something that doesn't fit taxonomies. This is something that kind of violates boundaries and like dissolves the distinction between the subject and the object, right? So 
uh yeah I, I i actually i actually think you're completely correct because it's also tied into it's tied into psychoanalytical theories of subjectivity right yes uh, mm-hmm. things like like uh amniotic fluid breast milk uh all of the kind of fluids of life are things that like uh are supposedly re- 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 revolting something that we yes. are like mm-hmm. pushed back from but in fact like it's a reminder of our our, our essential the essential kind of constructedness and uh, insecurity of this monadic post-cartesian fixed unitary subject beneath the skin like we're all kind of mulch right we're all we're all the the worm covered corpse in the backseat of the car vomiting the green ooze Oh my god, nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah, and, and I think like your 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 reference to amniotic fluid I think is also really important too because like disgust very rarely just is. You know, d- disgust is is a kind of socially mediated aesthetic uh, uh affective response, right? Like like why why is amniotic fluid disgusting? Well, because it's it's maternal, right? Like it's a reflection of like you know, like things that are womanly are also disgusting, right? Like, and again, we could apply these exact same discursive frameworks to class, to race, to ability, right? Like very, very, very rarely are we disgusted by things that are like, and again, like this also like we, we start evoking really problematic, like uh, evolutionary psychology discourses too, because people are far too ready to be like, oh, we're disgusted by uh, uh, entered subject here because of uh, this presumed evolutionary response, without having any recurse to like, oh, what about like social questions that have accreted around these fluids and these sources of disgust? Yeah, I mean, the the, the worms have, you know, we like to think that the worms have come from space, but really, like, what are we if not if not just that, right? Exactly, like, we- I gave, uh, oh, go on, go on. Go, no, go on, go on. <laughs> this could this could not be the 300th episode of horror vanguard without both of us going oh going 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 at the exact same time <laughs> <laughs> um the favorite the favorite call and response here on horror vanguard that's how you know that you're in the hv crypt is you you get to the door and you, you do the knock and then the person's like hello welcome and you have to you have to interrupt them and then they have to go oh go on go on go on, go on. you both have to do it at the same time and then you're in um, no, but like I, I gave I gave a talk for Romancing the Gothic on uh, celestial vomit. It was it was uh, theorizing slime. A lot of Ben Woodward uh, referenced in that one in the book Slime Dynamics, which is very interesting, and I highly recommend it. Um, but but I was just I was just gonna do that as a way to plug things I've done in the past while also agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> the the much more noble, um, uh, less of a question, more of a comment. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Any any final thoughts? Any final thoughts on this? That my gift to you of these I, disgusting space worms. I I am I am so happy with these. I'm I'm got space worms running all through me. Like this is fantastic. Uh, but I think the, I think the it's, brains, think it's the, time the, to move the, on. The worms are wiggling their way inside us as we speak. <laughs> oh, what a phenomenal cover at the end of this movie too! With uh, the final song, I, I really really enjoyed that. Of course, it's not the end. It is the beginning, as the, the credits beginning. tell us. Dun 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 dun. So I'm I'm so excited for future installments. Uh, uh, A24. I know you just got in a huge infusion of VC cash, uh, and that means you've got money to money to burn. Why not give us a call? We could revitalize the Space Worms franchise. It's got recognizable name branding. 
Oh my god, I, I swear to god, if we do this episode and all of a sudden Space Worms start showing up on like, bloody disgusting, top ten movies, you blah 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 blah, I am, <laughs> I am just gonna, I don't know, buy myself a nice shirt. <laughs> That's what yeah, we're, we're vindicated, we're vindicated, because we do carry the podcaster's burden, which is uh, to have good takes and always be right, um, and we do it so well. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I think a good reminder of just how well we do it here in Horror Vanguard uh, is, are, are, there, are the friends we've made along the way. Uh, but um, one of one of the best, one of the best, a man with invincible tastes in fashion, I must say, a huge inspiration to both of your ghosts, John Levitt. Hello, Ash. Hello, John. It's your normal human friend, John Levitt, with a message of... Congratulations for reaching an arbitrary number of episodes. Good for you. I know it is customary to provide a reward or a gift during such a time, so I've already sent you both two wonderful fruiting plants I discovered during my unprompted trip to Santa Mira, California. They should arrive at your respective locales soon. I recommend placing them near where you sleep, outside of direct sunlight, and within a temperature of 55 to 89 degrees. Do not worry if they begin to bloom. A fruit is your friend. I look forward to all of your further achievements and evolutions. Good night. That was that was another, like, I'm, I'm just kind of, like, taken aback by how kind and loving friends of Horror Vanguard are. Uh, as we've always said, Horror Vanguard is it's about movies, it's uh, actually it's about communism, it's about friendship, and it's about movies. Uh, and yeah, so sometimes about movies. Sometimes. Every every so often. Yeah, and like I, I just like <sighs> Brilliant, brilliant. And like all of our episodes with uh Mr. Leave It Alone on Twitter and other internet platforms now. Like they've been just phenomenal discussions, phenomenal. I highly encourage everyone to to go and check out our episode on High Rise, Little Shop of Horrors. Like they've all been fantastic. But well, I think God. <laughs> now it is time. Now it is time because because today is a double feature, a double feature episode for our three hundredth episode. John got me disgusting space worms eat everyone. I got John liquid sky. Uh, well, can I can I ask? What what are your criteria here? What what you know? I explained my thinking of like what makes something ash cinema. Okay, so this is I, I thought long and hard about like this was this was John John found Attack of Killer Space Worms very quickly because I, I, <laughs> I think it's a lot easier to find an ash movie. Um, you 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 just you just have to go to go to like IMDb sort by ratings and then go to zero and then like filter by bad and like. Um, so I was like, okay, what, what makes a John movie, a John movie? And so, so first and foremost, my first criteria is if, if Ash movies are kind of defined by their kind of disrespectability in terms of like general critical appraisal, a, a lot of times the movies that you really gravitate to are, are defined by a, a refined artistic sense, right? My, my movies are unpolished and and rough and and found at the bottom of the bargain bin 
and your movies are are much more noble in their arts, right? Like they're Criterion release worthy. Liquid Sky, if it doesn't have one already, honestly deserve. And I'm not I'm not saying this in the way that I would say Space Worms deserves a Criterion release, but like Liquid Sky legitimately should have a Criterion release. If yeah, it, if it be, doesn't I'm, already, I'd be so shocked if it doesn't already. Yeah, like like literally, I have not looked, but I would be like, okay, why does this have a Criterion? This absolutely needs one. Like this, this is just a phenomenal, tightly refined, very well executed film. Uh, a criteria, criteria too. Your movies are also very musical, um, and not musicals uh, in the sense of being a musical, but like often the kind of like movies that I've seen you gravitate to over the years, they 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 have like e- either again like a really refined sonic landscape, or I'm thinking again of like Suspiria, and like a, a lot of movies that I know that you love, like uh, Exorcist. There's there's something about them where like the score is so alive as, as, as a part of the film in and of itself that, that it honestly merits its own discussion, right? There's something about that that's freestanding from the rest of the film. And that's another like high mark for, for a piece of John, John cinema. And, and kind of like my, my, my third, my third quality, uh, uh, to, to find a movie that I, I was like, I wanted to find something that I think that you hadn't seen that I thought you would like. And my, my third quality is that the movie has to kind of be depressing but not 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 like crassly depressing, right? Not 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 just like a, a really mopey downer, but the movie just has to like it, it it has to not only find a way to hurt, but find a way to keep hurting. And and like like a, a lot of the movies, like like I know you're a huge fan, huge fan of Lars von Trier, and Lars von Trier's films are outstandingly successful at that. Um, like uh, the, yeah, just, I, I mean, my problematic fave is Lars von Trier. <laughs> truly the Slavoj Žižek of cinema when you think about it I mean you're not wrong um I I really appreciate all of that and it's it's like yeah uh, he, if 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 Ash is the the proletarian of taste of the show <laughs> I I am the pretentious loser <laughs> and I think I that's what makes this show work <laughs> I, w- I was gonna think about this more as like like imagine, imagine both of us attending ac- an academic conference, and, and 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 you show up like well mannered, well presented, and I'm like, I, I like fall out of a vent halfway through my own lecture, and then I'm like, where am I? What's going on? <laughs> um, like, oh, instead bef- of a lecture today, I'm just going to throw gummy worms at the audience until you understand. But before I ask you to explain um, what Liquid Sky from 1982 is is all about and i have to say for the record you chose perfectly because i really do love this movie (laughs) i'm so glad i was really Um, nervous to be honest uh it's it's time for uh another message from our very dear friends and comrades uh at left page do you not know the difference between lynch and cronenberg are you studying for your libidino economy exam Do you need guidance to travel the psychogeographical? Are you often lost navigating the dreaded discourse? Can you no longer find any meaning amidst the liberal media perpetual onslaught? If any or all of these have happened to you, then come come on down down to to the the Horror Vanguard Vanguard Crypt. Crypt. Where else can you listen to two adult men lose their marbles over a Z-horror movie made by a German 16-year-old? Or even hear about a person following cryptic clues around Oklahoma to find some cassette. Then the Horror Vanguard Crypt is the place to go, where there's a tomb just for you. Left page and hippie media are not responsible for following Gargoyle's discourse madness, my lord drinking psychic damage, or horror doing things to your body. 
that that was incredible. Like amazing. Like the 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 good the good folks over at Left Page and Hubie Media like de- devastate us. <laughs> that was that was a a beautiful beautiful statement that that also reminded me a lot of Jake's and that like god bodied accurate like <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, it's fine. Just just owned publicly. It's fine. <laughs> like, oh my god, Frank, Frank, especially, like you've been you've been with Horror Vanguard since God the beginning? Like how, yeah, how long have we won. known Frank now? Like and like oh, I'm I'm always just blown away by by not only like you know how good of a friend Frank's been, but also just just how like the blazing intellect that they have is like if you if you don't listen to Left Page and Here Be Media, I, I highly recommend it. There's so much you to learn in their shows. Out. Yeah, really. If you if you enjoy us, if you enjoy Labor Kyle, like you really, really, really need to catch up with Frank's shows. Um, could not, uh, could and not agree more. Maybe maybe Frank will be back in Horror Vanguard next month. Who knows? Do 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 before do, too do. long. <laughs> um well then, I let us let's continue. Let's continue this exchange. And can I ask? Can I ask you to to perform perform the the, the rites, perform <laughs> the the uh, occult ritual, um, and explain explain to me, explain to everyone listening, um, what is 1982's Liquid Sky about? Uh, this precy is entitled Anatomy of the John Movie. Ultimately, I ask myself, was Liquid Sky a John movie? At the end of the day, I'm not sure, and I'm also not entirely sure this distinction means something more than a sign of friendship between John and myself. Over the years on this show, the line between our tastes has blurred, shifted, and become more of an informal shorthand than an actual demarcation of a psychogeographic bound. I could say John's cinema is downbeat, defined by a refined aesthetic, woven into complex and intentional sonic landscapes, And all of these things would be true, but it misses something key, something vital. What I have come to see as John's cinema has less to do with John's favored filmic aesthetics, and more to do with our friendship and the body of work that is this show. I have no way of seeing John's cinema without looking through the lens of years of friendship, camaraderie, and respect. John's cinema is more than just a set of aesthetics and affective modes. It is the ongoing formation of a history and a body of intellectual work. Enter into one chapter of that history as we discuss Liquid Sky. Oh, that is so, so moving. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a what a present. What a present to to, to have been given. Um, so so we... you did like Liquid Sky. <laughs> well, as with all of the films I really like, like is a hard word. <laughs> like is the, yeah, that's true. I, I forgot we're talking about John Cinema now and like like doesn't really apply anymore. <laughs> no, not really. Um, did I enjoy this film? That's also a kind of problematic. <laughs> it was a movie. It sure it sure was a movie. Um, it's beautiful. Um, it's also Stunning. deeply, deeply upsetting. Which... Which uh, so so the first time I watched this, I I, I went in went in with no. Um, usually I'll read like the Wikipedia beforehand, a couple reviews, kind of get my sea legs as it were before watching a movie to kind of like go in with a sharp critical axe. This movie I just jumped in. I I did not see that coming, and and just a little content warning for the to the rest of this discussion, listeners. 
something that we rarely we were this is a horror movie show all we would have content warnings at the beginning of every episode um if we did them with any kind of rigor but like this movie like god damn there are a lot of sexual assaults in this movie played out very slowly on screen and they are all brutal and you're not gonna see the first one coming and it's gonna hit like a train when it does yeah it's um Yes, I think that's a really important thing to to just say right off the top. For a lot of people, this this is something that you probably won't won't want to watch. Totally fine. Um, I I think in a way this is this is not like exploitation cinema, right? It doesn't have that kind of semantic language around it, which kind of can make these kind of things harder to deal with. Um, But we will we will try and kind of unpick that a little bit. But there is one very important formal point that we kind of have to start off with, which is this is basically the same movie that I got you. <laughs> <laughs> this is oh my god! So I, I, I so so as, as I as I alluded to earlier, you suggested Space Worms like right off the bat. That was like when we decided we were going to do like a gift exchange three hundredth double feature. You know, it was, it was you, were, you were like, oh, I got a couple ideas. Then like a second later, you were like, uh, uh, disgusting space rooms eat everyone. Done. There's the movie. Um, and so I got it and I watched it. And I loved it. Um, and then I was like, oh, what should a John movie be? What should it be? And then I, I suggested Liquid Sky before I had watched it because I, I it just kind of I saw it, saw a little bit about it. And I was like, oh, I, I'm getting the vibe. This is this one's going to work. And then I start watching this movie and the first like ten minutes or so, I'm like, oh no, this is this is just disgusting space worms all over again. This is this is just going to be a wacky, weird sci-fi horror. And then it becomes grueling, and then it becomes musical, and then it becomes like blazingly artistic and very intellectual. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the same movie. It's it's. It's aliens from space. It's drugs. It's a very particular music scene. It's a very specific style of cinematography. It's the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is a disgusting space worms eat everyone. If that one actually finished its PhD, but um, <laughs> um, God, yeah, it's like I think what's so lovely about this, like serendipity, uh, is that it goes to show that really. The Venn diagram is just a circle, right? We, it's, yeah, it's we, just collapsed, yeah. It's completely collapsed over the three... Like, it's... I cannot separate, like, what I enjoy in cinema now from the very... From the 300 episodes that have helped kind of shape my own engagement with this art form. <laughs> uh, no, I was I was thinking this... And even even in terms of, like... I was, uh, so I've, I've been... Get a little side project going. Won't, won't announce anything yet, dear listeners. Um, but it does involve me listening to all of the original Horror Vanguard episodes uh, in order. And I'm like, wow, like, like you, over the years, like I've just like, uh, like, you know, my theoretical perspectives have adopted so much of kind of what John has taught me over the years. And our, our taste in movies is just kind of like slowly merging. <laughs> yeah, I think so. This is this is the event horizon. <laughs> uh where should we begin? Where, where would you like to start? Um, okay, so so like uh, my my secret my secret fourth criteria for a good John movie is so I I I don't know why, but the movies you have the strongest emotional reaction to have some a very outspoken piss related scene, <laughs> and and, I, and I'm like I'm like Hubie Halloween 
was 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 devastating for you on a certain level like this keeps coming up exorcist iconic of course yeah 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 uh and and then and then this movie one of the moments while while i was watching this one i was just like ah i picked the winner yeah Um, we 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 have (laughs) our our protagonist and their girlfriend are like getting brunch and the the girlfriend gets up on the table and starts recalling the story of when their mom was in like an asylum and like pissed off of the balcony onto a bunch of passersby on the street below and that's how you know you're like you could kind of sense me being like oh god it happened again <laughs> <laughs> and i will make no analysis of this <laughs> but i mean i still, if you look I at this still chart, think back to our hubie halloween episode as being one which was uh <laughs> i feel i feel like i'm a different there is there's a pre and post like halloween. break in who i am because of hubie halloween Oh, that's a. I think that'll be the only Adam Sandler movie we ever do. And boy, was it a movie we did do an episode on. <laughs> that was my official review of Hubie Halloween. Uh, yes, that that is there. There's there's also um, there's a there's a surprising amount of uh, David Bowie in this. There is all this. The, at first, I was just like, "Oh, okay." Like this movie is just like heavily inspired by David Bowie's aesthetic for a particular part of his career. But then, no, they start name dropping Bowie at the end. Like the movie is kind of a commentary on Bowie. Yeah, uh, I, I, particularly uh, Bowie in the high androgynous phase, because also this has got Anne Carlyle uh, just looking incredible. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um. Uh, if you will allow me to be briefly horny on main <laughs> <laughs> it is it is allowed tip tip the hat uh yeah it's um Anne Carlyle is great as uh as both uh Margaret and Jimmy um in full like new wave 80s androgyne mode and it's incredible um that the, it it does some really interesting structural things. Um, there's a lot of like Kuleshov effects, a lot of like simultaneous intercutting between scenes, um, particularly mm-hmm. in the first half, which I think is uh, maybe at first kind of feels slightly meandering, but then when you kind of tune into the when you kind of tune into the frequency, as it were, like it just clicks and just runs so smoothly. I, I had the exact same experience where initially I was like, not not quite sure if this is, and then, you know, I kind of like, and this is, there's a lot of like sonic fourth wall breaks too. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. in, a, in a way, the score of this is breaking the fourth wall a lot with its own commentary on our actors, which I found to be an incredibly interesting formal decision for the creation of this film. But then after a while, kind of like the electro uh, crash music and like it, all of it just starts slotting together. And like it, t- it took me a while, yeah. Like just like you were saying, it took me a while to get the rhythm. But once I was in, I was in. Yeah, and it's like it's like super intense synth music all the way through, um, which is maybe a little bit wearing. But like the other massive highlight is the cinematography. Like I absolutely, we don't want to. We like we don't like to be, uh, you know, stereotypical. Uh, but it's it's filmed in thirty five millimeter. It looks beautiful, super high contrast, high color frames. Like you could watch this without music or, or audio, and it would be like just kind of beautiful moving art. 
Um, I think mm-hmm. it's amazing. It looks like on a big screen. This this film would absolutely slap. Yeah, this this is one of those rare movies where like you you could watch this on mute and it would be a beautiful experience, and you could also watch this, or rather listen. Uh, just to the audio and not watch anything and it would still be a fantastic experience yeah um and it's so so such a strange thing because of who made this movie <laughs> oh yeah yeah let, let's let's let our let our listeners in on, on a little uh behind the scream secret here who made liquid sky uh it is uh, uh slava zukerman or uh vladislav zukerman who is a Born and raised in the USSR, um, studied at the at the Moscow Institute of Civil Engineering, uh, and it, it, it's I'm not sure how many other films that he's done, um, but there is the uh, famous documentary Stalin's Wife, mm-hmm. uh, and there is also another film called Perestroika, which is ab- about the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's so it's so strange to have like a f- someone who was born and raised in the USSR making this weird art movie about drugs and synth music and the new wave in the New York club scene. And I think a lot of the credit has to has to go to Anne Carlyle, um, mm-hmm. who is not only the a star in, in 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 a dual role, but is also. Uh, the writer wrote the novelization was very involved in developing the film and has also been like a fixture of fine art in America for like the last 35 years. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And also, also, I mean like another uh, a friend, friend of horror Vanguard, longtime fan of the show, uh, Berthold Brecht, uh, uh, a huge inspiration for the construction of liquid sky, which is another, like put, put that, put that on the board of like secret John things in movies. <laughs> Uh, I guess not secret in the slightest, yeah, but yeah, yeah, you know, you 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 you're hitting all the buttons here. <laughs> so, do you have any other uh, uh, formalism zone points before we get a little discursive? No, I think we should get a little discursive. But before that, it's time for another message from a longtime friend of the show, uh, a guest on the show, and a real big supporter of the show. Uh, it's time to hear from Mexi. Happy 300th episode to the spookiest co-ghosts with the biggest hearts, whose praises alone are Oscar-worthy. It has been so rad seeing you start this project and grow and develop it into the absolute force that it is today. I am honored to have guested on several episodes, and I am so looking forward to more in the future. My undying love and admiration, your friend Mexi, whose opinion, by the way, I think should have some real authority on this matter, as my birthday is All Hallows' Eve. What? (laughs) Congrats, you guys. That was another beautiful shout out uh, for your ghouls here at Horror Vanguard from Mexi, who is like, God, I can't even remember how long I've been watching. I I was watching Mexi's videos before I was even creating content, and they were one of the things that inspired me to get in the game. You know, so without without Mexi, there would be no horror vanguard. And that's I, I find to be something that's just phenomenal and really, really appropriate. Uh yeah. I um a one of the very earliest guests on the show. Uh we've 
both of us have been on uh, Mexi's podcast multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just another really lovely message. Uh, should we get discursive? We we should. We should absolutely get discursive. What would you like to start us off with? Um, yeah, good lord, there's that's that's the first point in our notes. Let's let's come back to that. <laughs> good idea. Uh, yeah. Um, let's talk about warm up let's a bit do, first. This is this is a film basically about two cities, one being New York, um, and one being Berlin. Um, mm-hmm. and Berlin is this kind of like interstitial point between the problems of uh, the kind of club scene, like the limitations of the club scene and like this moment of possibility. Um, and I think it's super interesting, like a film made in, in, in the cold war has this subtextual element of we have to get like, we've got to leave the West and go to Berlin or we've got to get out of Berlin. And like, there's, there's all of this kind of like, which only gets more complicated when you start thinking about, the film's director, right? And their own backstory, this movement mm-hmm. like through Berlin to New York City and like all of these characters who are thinking about getting through New York City to go back to Berlin. And I'm kind of curious to know what you think about that. So I, I find like, so I was actually thinking about our characters who specifically want to either, or who have rather left Berlin and why they've left Berlin and our characters who want to flee New York City to Berlin and so we have um, our protagonist who's playing two roles um, and her partner and her partner keeps who is a horrible person, which we'll get oh, into. Yeah. Um, he keeps going like, oh, baby, let's move to Berlin. Everyone loves me in Berlin. Berlin's great. I'll get you so much cocaine if we move to Berlin. Berlin's fantastic. They love me there. So like all, all the things that like a washout, abusive, manipulative person would say about a destination to get someone to move there. And, like, we have another person who's kind of got a meta-commentary on Berlin, and that's, like... So we have a ufologist who is one of our lead characters. Yes. um, Who is from Berlin, and he winds up having to stay at the apartment of an American woman um, in order to, like, continue his ufology, which, yeah, we're going to talk a lot about UFOs here. Um, But she's also kind of, like, idealizing and fetishizing Berlin. Right, because, you know, like, oh, it's like this deep-voiced man from Berlin, and all she wants to do is fuck him because she keeps implying that he's got, like, a really big dick. <laughs> yes, and, like, basically. So so we have these two people who have a very, like, starry-eyed, fetishized, libidinal view of what Berlin could... Not, not what they could do in Berlin, not what they can accomplish there, not something actually about Berlin, but, like, a very idealized concept of, you know, like, the, the, the city that is Berlin. And, you know, like it contrasts really well with the ufologist himself, right? Because he had to leave Berlin to continue his research into these uh, en- uh, uh, endorphin-devouring micro-aliens because he couldn't do it in Berlin. And he couldn't do it in Berlin because the aliens just weren't there. And I think it's like, oh, it's really telling that someone had to leave Berlin to, like, investigate the site of this global rot. And it happens to be New York City. It happens to be the, the beating heart of the economy of the United States. Yeah, I mean, this is like this is this is essentially a film about the American libidinal economy. Extremely correct, right? About about fetishism, like a commodity fetishism, feti- the uh, like sexual fetishism, the fetishizing of like uh, 
male misogyny and male violence. Um, all of that's in there. Uh, patriarchal homophobia, biphobia particularly. Um, like, it's all in there. But th the great thing about it is that it understands that these things are not distinct issues, right? Um, the, 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 the violence against... Uh, against her, the Margaret experiences uh, is directly like imbricated in this wider system of like clubs and fashion and parties and like cultural capital and just plain old capital and drugs as the kind of mediating the lubricants that keeps this entire system moving. I think, I think that's a great, way of okay, kind of approaching the like oh the geopolitics of liquid sky but do you do you want to talk more about the kind of uh, david bowie and or the cold war context i mean these are the other this is the other geopolitics right bowie is mentioned i'm not sure where this fits in bowie's timeline of like when he was in berlin um but like the Bowie's own well-documented like experimentations and flirtations, even with fascism. Uh, yep. But again, a lot of the time you can go, well, doing lots of drugs, saying some wacky things, in the but also like the hyper-stylized aestheticism of the early eighties and the new wave did, d does lend itself to reactionary politics, not inevitably, not innately, but it was certainly something that was kind of like part of it, right? There was there was the there was that kind of transgressive frisson to it. Oh, oh, absolutely, and especially the way a lot of that new wave stylized aesthetics became implemented too, because it didn't become implemented through on a mass cultural level through like, you know, like, and this is something that this movie even is kind of displaying as a site of conflict, right? Because we have our like, you know, you know and again, like to, in, in proper HV joking form, we have our like uh, Berlin by way of New York City underground club location where a bunch of like strange artists do their strange artist things. I don't know. I don't go to cool clubs. Uh, so someone in the comments, let me know what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> but like they're doing their cool art stuff. Um, and that, that that is dispersed across an audience, right? Of course, you've got the performer on stage, but like like any good stage performance, the audience is also alive and part of that interaction, which is contrasted with like the film's own David Bowie character and their rise to increasing you know central dominance. And I think we see that with that you know early new wave aesthetic, right? Where like there is this kind of like proletarian element to it, but because of how the market operates, because of how capital uh, captures things, what winds up happening is like no, it's just David Bowie. Like there's yeah. no there's no one else that matters. It's David Bowie and maybe a few other people at the bottom of the, at the lower levels of the rung, but it becomes the same like cult of personality that you get out of fascist movements. Yeah, and of course I'm thinking of like the the you know the the sort of Hugo Boss of the 30s juxtaposed into the thir into the 80s. All of those mm -hmm. kind of like hyper tailored um, silhouettes, lo lots of leather, lots of like fetish wear, and again. None of that is innate to those things, right? But it's about the 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 libidinal impulse towards it. I feel like Wilhelm Reich would get this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Wilhelm Reich would have would have had a field day with Liquid Sky. Uh, yeah, aliens wanting to harvest our organs. Yeah, I pff, this. <laughs> Oh, see, see that, that's how you catch the aliens from Liquid Sky, too, is you, like, 
Yeah, oh my god. Okay, Kate Kate Bush is is the antithesis to the thesis that is Liquid Sky. We 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 just we just need to do some cloud busting. Yeah, we we need to harness I, our orgone energy and we can shoot them out of the sky. Yeah, absolutely. Uh this movie also has some absolutely wild like gender discourse. So Anne Carlyle, as we talked about earlier, plays Margaret and Jimmy. And Jimmy, and the yes. Film, the film doesn't let you in on that they're the same person right away. Like, like it's it's abundantly clear that they're being played by the same actor, right? But intra the text of the film, like there were a couple moments where I was just like, wait, that is the same actor, right? That's the same person. Yeah. Like it's we we don't get scenes where we see them changing costume, or at least if we did, I, I blanked them entirely. Like we 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 see them putting on the costumes that they wear in either role, but we don't see the shift between them. And at the end of the film, they confront themselves as two separate people of two separate gendered existences. And yeah. Yeah, ooh, there's a lot going on here. There's so much, like, obviously, this idea of the gothic double is, like, core to the film. Um, but yeah, also, um, a lot of, a lot of biphobia. Margaret at one point says, well, why should I be attracted to a person because they have a certain physical arrangement? Should it not be because I'm attracted to them? Um, and yeah, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the photos shoot with, the two of them, the two question mark, two of them, the the one of them, mm-hmm. um, which is either is either classifiable as like, depending on how you read the nature of their relationship or their entanglement, is either readable as sort of like this weird act of like sadomasochistic masturbation, or yeah. or this sort of incestuous. Uh, like sexual violence. Oh, absolutely. Right. And like, there's also like, you know, like the Margaret slash Jimmy clearly has like an internal gender conflict that's being explored through this. And they even get a line where I think it's, they say something to the effect of like, like to be fashionable is to be androgynous. And I am no less androgynous than David Bowie himself. Yes, absolutely. And, And so, and so we see that they're like, their self-perception, right? Their gendered identity, if you will, is kind of bound up in the kind of economic market, the libidinal economy, again, if you will, that, that they find themselves in, right? Like their their ability to explore that is also kind of trapped within this larger political context. And like, you know, in the end, it's like this struggle with identity that we watch before us. And we're kind of left with like what I think is a really downbeat like question at the end. And that's like, did the kind of like authentic self win at the end? Were either of these representations the kind of authentic self for this character? Right. And because we do get, um, oh, go on, go on. And of course, like what causes it, right? This, cause, uh, like the, so the interesting thing is like, I think we get, we have to talk about the, the role of drugs in this as well, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of cocaine. There's a lot of quaaludes. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the, the big drug in this is heroin, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of there's a lot of heroin. This idea of it being like an opi- the opiate as being this kind of like uh, neurochemical kind of explosion that's visualized in these like blown out in psychedelic colors. Um, 
but there's also the psychedelic colors of orgasm, right? There's a sort of like mm-hmm. sublimity to it. It is, it is a, it is like an, a limit experience, right? It's the, the literalization of la petite mort of the little death. And of course, Margaret ends up shooting heroin as a way of like inducing that, the, the, the pleasure that's enough for her to kind of vanish. Um, which you could read as puritanical, but I think it fits into this longer tradition of like gothic writing or gothicized writing about opium. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, a diary of an opium eater, uh, even Sherlock Holmes, like getting lost in, in the, in the sublime wonder of, of like the annihilation of, of, of smoking his opium in the opium dens of London. It's like, Again, so like, even though it's such a kind of aggressively modern film, a modernist film, it's tapping into these really long-standing gothic discourses of doubling, of bodily identity, of sexual and gender identity, of uh, of drugs as this means of like, it kind of harvesting consciousness, right? A pleasure oh, yeah. that it, yep. a pleasure that's so intense that it will kill you, but you do it anyway willingly. It's, it's, I was also like thinking of oh this this has notes of like even Walter Benjamin's on hashish is, is oh, popping yeah. up in this, um but like also like 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 your comments on like jouissance and like your comments on my continuing struggle to pronounce things correctly, um like I kept thinking about you know Mark Fisher's idea of like depressive anhedonia, mm. in in regards to both like you know, like sex in this film as well as heroin and even cocaine on top of that. Cause like, you know, like the people in this movie keep chasing that high for reasons that aren't their own. Right. Like for these, like almost disagential reasons, right? Like the men, the men are all chasing these highs because they're, they're, they're so like yoked by like patrocentric forces. They can't even begin to see you know, that they're, they're, they're almost like, you know, automata in a way, like just following a script. And then our protagonist is like so lost within their own struggles that like they're, they're almost removed from the agency of any, of all these hedonic experiences, except right at the end. And even the end, like that's so, it's so, it's so appropriate to the drugs uh, featured in this movie, but it's so downbeat. It's so depressive, right? The kind of like ethos of, of heroin and the collapse of the eighties and the beginning of capitalist realism win out with her character you know like like the the the, there is this kind of like hedonic collapse at the end yeah absolutely you're never going to go to berlin right because the person who wants you there is like this narcissistic controlling monster who wants you to be uh humiliated publicly um the drugs are going to run out and really the only way out is to kind of like ride the wave completely towards this like neurochemical euphoric explosion of self-annihilation oh absolutely and like 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 to kind of like to talk so the aliens in this one like they're <laughs> reminded me of like oh not short circuit um what is the movie with the little aliens hang on so so this movie weirdly enough reminds me of the uh, uh 1987 matthew robbins title batteries not included um, but battery, uh, yes, <laughs> but batteries not included is is a heartwarming and fun movie for family with young children. And Liquid Sky is one thousand percent not that. This is not a kids movie. <laughs> so, so the the UFO in this one, much like uh, the UFOs and Batteries Not Included, is very small. It's like the size of a dinner plate. Yeah, and, it's, and which like, is a weirdly like cute detail. <laughs> I, I really like that. And in, in, in our in our German ufologist, 
is, is, is even like, oh, well, like what, you know, like it's, it's such a hubristic common misconception that we think UFOs would be person sized or to accommodate person sized life forms, you know, like, like what's, what's to stop life forms from space for being so much smaller. That's why we can't recognize them is because, you know, not only do they have advanced technology, but they're also tiny. And I'm uh, like, oh, yeah. that is that. And, and again, like what I was watching, I was like, fuck, this is just space worms. It is just <laughs> it weirdly is. small aliens. It's it's space worms, and instead of like annihilating humanity because they think that like we are beneath them, as in disgusting space worms, here they are uh, harvesting a drug that is produced in the brain at the moment of orgasm, um, mm-hmm. and and I think this brings up the thing that we should address, which is like there is a lot of sexual violence in this film, but it is. There's also a lot of revenge in this movie. Uh, all of all of these uh, men, all of these abusers are killed. And it doesn't seem like it's a nice way to go. Um, it, oh, it reminds me a little bit of Under the Skin. Yes. Because mm-hmm. in Under the Skin, there's there's something that's like ambiguously seductive about it. And it mm-hmm. feels like that it's kind, maybe even kind of painless or, or like a different kind of sensation. And you just get put in the contraption and you go beneath the ooze and are gone. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas this, it feels a lot more, it feels a lot more affectively intense. Yeah. And and like, this is what uh, Margaret says, right? Uh, How do we, how do we feel about the word cunt on the show? (laughs) (laughs) Like, because isn't this what she says? I can kill with my cunt? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. That's, that's know, a subtle bit of it, British it, vernacular. Why not? <laughs> yeah. We're we're making that, a uh, uh, listeners. We are we are making a direct reference to a text. Uh, we are not saying uh, these phrases and items. Uh, characters from the text are. Uh, yes, uh, and so I guess I guess what do you what do you and there's a point where she's like no more bodies right talking to these this invisible presence of like she doesn't want any more bodies and the bodies just vanish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, so what do you think about this in the kind of tradition of like a woman's revenge movie? Yeah, so, so I was definitely thinking a lot about I Spit on Your Grave while, while watching this. And, and I think like, again, like it was our 300 episode and how could we not talk about Carol Clover? How could we not talk about men, women and chainsaws? Like, and again, again, I will reference again, like Carol Clover really nailed I Spit on Your Grave uh, when she wrote... It is, is something to the effect of it's simultaneously a revenge movie for uh, a gendered underclass against a gendered overclass, i.e. women against men. But it is also a revenge movie about a uh, like political underclass, right? Like the, the rural, right? The, 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 the kind of uh, against the political overclass of the city. And in this movie, like I, I think it's I think it's like like I think a bad rape revenge movie would be far too simplistic with its discourses. And would invite a kind of like libidinalized rush of simplicity. And this movie is very, very complicated because all of our characters are kind of lost in this like sluicing mess of agency. And they're all trying to find something to hold on to. And none of them even have a grasp of who they are or what they're doing. And that makes the rape revenge elements of this that much more complicated and that much more, I think, theoretically engaging and grabbing. And we have, so it's one of the things too is like, so Margaret's relationship with the aliens, um, like, like 
once she realizes that by like making someone come, she can kill them or rather the aliens will kill them on her behalf. Uh, uh, she weaponizes that. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is like, again, like we also have like notes of like vagina dentata and like, I'm sorry, the movie's teeth. Teeth is the film I'm thinking of teeth. A great um, movie. Iconic film. Um, and so there's like notes of that in this as well. But one of the things I was thinking of is she refers to the UFO as Indian, right? Like, like that's the name she's given to it is Indian. And so I was immediately thinking of like, oh, like she's like, is she conceiving of this thing as being subaltern in or in, in relationship to her, right? Mm. Is, is she seeing of the UFO Either, either that that's a reference to India, the country, or to like you know the, the kind of like outdated term for indigenous peoples. Like, is, is she kind of using that to to like subordinate the UFO and be like, oh, this is a thing that serves me. It's going to serve my aims. It's going to service my goals, and, and like like further complicate this dialogue along the kind of like men, women, and chainsaws angle. And so, like, like all of that stuff, like, like I mean, like, and again, like, I think one of the most powerful things about a, a rape revenge movie in the vein of I Spit on Your Grave is that, like, you kind of can't walk out of it, like, without a lot of very complicated questions. And not as a way to dodge obvious discourses. Of course, rape is wrong. Of course, fuck rape is duh. But, like, or that's not duh. That's crass. But, like, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you also walk out with a bunch of very complicated questions. And and I think those elements of this film are working in that direction. I actually, yeah, I agree. And it's, it, it gets increasingly loaded because Margaret also talks about like her childhood growing up. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, which there's something so like deeply tragic about this. And this, this kind of like ambiguous idea of like, what, what is her relationship to these these creatures which he picked up on but it's like one of the really kind of beautiful things i suppose about the film is this is this like unapologetic defense of artifice and mm-hmm. of like beco- becoming something else right this idea that like yeah you can have your weird makeup and extreme fashion and extreme music and you will you will allow yourself to be something new and subjectivity is this act of self-creation and self-curation, but is kind of explicitly hampered by male sexual violence, right? That's 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 the kind of iron point, uh, the the scalpel's edge of eighties misogyny. Yeah, you know, it's like when Paul is like belittling her for her her bisexuality or pansexuality, um, and finds it disgusting. Uh, but like that, that disgust and that abjection is is then remediated through sexualized violence, and so, uh, uh, like her killing is of Paul is kind of like an act of self defense almost, and an act of defending the artifice and excess of the subjectivity that she has created for herself. I think that is such a fantastic way to begin to close out our 300th episode. Uh, do, do you have any parting Liquid Sky takes? Um, it's it's really good. It's really good. It's really, it's weird. It's very weird and deeply depressing, um, if you think about it. But also, also kind of beautiful. And like, it was made, this was also made for no money. And it was made without permits. And it was just shot in New York nightclubs. But it's made by people who are so technically proficient um, 
particularly the cinematography being just beautiful, that it was one of the most profitable independent films of the entire year. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I'm, Vinegar Syndrome actually were behind the the DVD, the restoration release of this in 2017. And once again, just doing such vital work in, in right. uh, preserving and protecting this art form. Oh, so before we begin to wrap up our discussion here, I, I think it's time to turn to our next uh, Horror Vanguard shout-out uh, from the good people over at Weird Signal. Hey, this is me, your boy, Sean from Weird Signal. But I'll tell you what we're saying. This ain't me having forgotten that I promised I was going to record this before the 10th of November. This ain't me on the 9th of November in a horror-themed bar suddenly remembering that I said I was going to do that. And this certainly ain't me speaking to an undisclosed third party about an H.P. Lovecraft-themed podcast project. But this is me telling you to keep listening to Horror Vanguard but keep listening to Weird Signal too, because I'm sorry, we did come first. Love you. What another another heartfelt statement from from the podcast that uh, was was doing what Horror Vanguard does before Horror Vanguard was even a podcast. Yeah, if you like our show and just wish it was better, listen to Weird Signal. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, I know. Um, so I know uh, Lucy from Weird Signal and uh, a friend friend of the show, director Jonathan Kennedy. Um, uh, get ratified on social media is they they just started a new podcast about media and politics. I listened to the first episode of it and it is absolutely great. I think it's currently hosted through the Weird Signal channel, so check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a fa- fantastic, fantastic shout out uh, from Sean from Weird Signal. Really, really love that. And and this is this is almost almost the end of episode three hundred. How are you feeling, John? God, three three hundred episodes. Uh. Uh, over on uh, the site formerly known as Twitter, um, I did a rundown of the top 20 episodes, mm-hmm. um, which people might want to check out um, and find out which one is our highest listened to episode, our most popular episode. But uh, I wanted to ask, personal highlights, you know, if you had to choose right now, what are the episodes that you'd be like, <laughs> you want to start listening to HV, listen to these? Ooh, okay. Gremlins? Yes, absolutely. Uh, also, also a fan favorite. Got to pick Gremlins. Um, ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, let's see. I would, I would do Gremlins, and then I would pick one of the weird Labor Kyle episodes. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe two thousand um, maniacs. Yeah, two two thousand maniacs. Um, like any of the Lindsay Lohan stuff we've done. We've done two Lindsay Lohan movies oh, with Labor Kyle. Breed. Pick those the Nightbreed up. Nightbreed episode. Oh, Nightbreed. Oh my God, Nightbreed. What a classic. Um, oh, those are good places to start our, our nine-hour Halloween review. If you want to watch us or listen to us rather slowly break down over the course now, of a you working watch, day, you watch it again. It's a visual medium. <laughs> it's a visual medium. Well, That's what we do here. At, at that episode, it will start to psychically project into your mind partway through, and you will be there with us. So I'm sorry about that, but it's kind of a thing that happens. Um, how about you? How about you? How about you? If you had, if you had it off the top, just off the dome here, like what's a good, what's a good welcome to Horror Vanguard? Uh, ooh. Uh, I obviously completely agree with all of those. Um, I would add in, um, I would add in, uh, the amazing episode we did on Wild Zero. Oh yeah, that was fantastic. Because, because rock and roll is not dead. Rock and roll will never die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and love knows no borders, no genders. <laughs> what a good movie. 
Oh, what a what a great movie! What a great movie that is. Um, I think our review of Evil Dead, which I think mm-hmm. we did for episode hundred, is really good. Oh, I do believe oh, so. Yep, featuring uh, our first musical guest. Uh, the way which yeah. was, uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, Paul, who's done the graphic design for our show. So also shout out to Paul here at episode three hundred. You uh, made our show look a- decent. Thank you. Yeah, we we need the help. <laughs> Uh, gotta gotta shout out the bloody muscle builder, bloody what is it? Bloody, bloody muscle, muscle bodybuilder bu- in hell. Bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell. <laughs> that was that was another fantastic fantastic conversation with labor lifts. Uh, I do want to. Um, I know uh, Shin Godzilla. Our Shin Godzilla episode got yeah. a got to flag that one up because I've gotten a lot of messages. That's a lot of people's favorite pricey. I know that's a Jay from Library Punks, uh, I think current favorite, unless something has supplanted it since. But yeah, a lot, a lot of nice things. But I like that one too. It's maybe one of the favorite praises I've written over these years. I, 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 I get why, actually. That's that's an absolute banger. Um, I I think we have to... I, something that I am actually kind of proud of is that when uh, COVID was like in its first iteration we did our kind of like viral horror movies mini oh, episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. um and i was listening back to it and there was a point i think it's when we're talking about zombie land we're talking a little bit about what's going on and we made the point that actually the show exists you know in a, in a moment where like social distancing was necessary what we needed was kind of social closeness and horror is a really great space for experiencing that and i think you know there's something it sounds a little kind of cliche, but I I, I am genuinely really uh, touched by it every time someone's like, oh, I really love this episode. This episode meant a lot to me. It's like, because that's what we want to try and do. Um, in the horrors of the world that we try and live our way through as best as we can, this is our shared environment in which we can kind of mediate them and talk through them together in a way that helps us face them, I think. I think that's a beautiful a beautiful sentiment to start to close out on. But listeners, listeners, don't close your podcasting app of choice yet. Because we have one final shout out. We saved what what I, I, I think I can easily say is the best for last. Uh, another long, longtime fan of the show, uh, Nestor, um, uh, formerly of the podcast Black Banner Magic, uh, uh, released the, an amazing album under the title Hellgazer that I'm, that I'm a huge fan, huge fan of their noise music. It's just beautiful stuff. Um, uh, they, they, they got us a little present, a little present featuring, uh, so someone, a voice I wish I had, uh, but, uh, let's, let's take it away. Uh, Nestor's gift to the show. <laughs> Hello kitties. It's your old pal, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And my good fiend, Nestor, wanted to do a special shout-out for John and Ash. That's right, his favorite horror creeps and yours, Ghoulie, got invited to help celebrate the discourse. <laughs> That's right, the horror vanguard ghosts, I mean hosts, dig up prime cinema corpses every week for a hell of a good time. Well, kiddies, I hope you enjoy all the beast, but be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!
and that I, I'm sorry, but that's like that's like I cried the first time I listened to that. That was like the just genuine perfection. The only the, the, like we've peaked. We've peaked. <laughs> we we have a shout out from the crypt keeper now. I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Like no, no other accolade would matter to me. <laughs> like that's oh my god, I'm tearing up again. Like I don't know what to do with that. That's just fantastic. <laughs> I'm uh, I. And, and and we recorded a nine hour episode. I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> what a what a treat! What an absolute treat! And what a way to celebrate three hundred episodes uh, and six years of horror vanguard. Woo! Oh, this has been this has been so good. Uh, we are hitting the milestone of three hundred and thirty three this year. So uh, get ready for that one. We will be topping. Our nine-hour Halloween episode. No, no, don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> oh, I don't need to say it. It was it was forsworn. The stars predicted this one. The second we decided to record a nine-hour episode on Halloween, we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna do something even wackier this Halloween. It is gonna be an interesting 2024 here at Horror Vanguard. Got some spooky surprises coming your way, and thank you so much, dear listeners of the Void, for 300 episodes. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.